tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Zell's Odyssey, Wally's Hidden River, and Looking for Christopher. And I am your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Robbie. Yes? I uh, recently visited uh, Portland, Oregon for the first time in many years. Huh. Last, not this last weekend, but the weekend before last. I was did a, did a quick trip up to the city of uh, Roses. Yes. Is that what Portland is? I, I think so, nice yeah. It's, they used to call the... the 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 um, stadium, the Rose Garden. The whole time I was on the lookout because I wanted to get you a souvenir from Portland. Ooh. And I know that you're a Trailblazers fan. <gasps> yes. Yes. Okay. Well, prepare to be disappointed. So the whole weekend, <laughs> I'm like, try- I was trying to find like a Trailblazer, any anything, any Trailblazers swag. You know, and I was I was in the airport. I was in some touristy parts of Portland. And I thought, surely. I'll come across like a lanyard or a t-shirt or something to get my dear friend Robbie because he is a Trailblazers fan. Yeah. And um, came up completely empty handed to the point where I was questioning if Portland even had an NBA team anymore <laughs> because I didn't see a single piece of Trailblazers merchandise. I saw a lot of um, OSU, you know, right. Ducks, Oregon Ducks, college football, which isn't even in Portland. That's in Eugene. Hmm. Nothing. That's strange because usually in a team with a, uh, a city with a professional sports team, I mean, particularly when you when you're going to boilerplate plate, you know, shops and stuff, they uh, it's mm-hmm. it's common for them to you know stock up some merchandise related to that that home team. Hmm. Yeah, I I know when you go to either Burbank or LAX, any airport in LA, you're going to be confronted with a lot of like Lakers, Dodgers, Ram- even Rams, even LA Rams yeah. merchandise. Um, you're you're you know LA Kings, LA Galaxy. You're probably going to have a harder time. Maybe Clippers aren't so prominent, but you're gonna you're gonna be able to you know we have a lot of teams is what I'm saying, and you're going to be confronted with a lot of this merchandise like immediately off the plane. Yeah. And so I was really confused as to why it was that nowhere I went in Portland, it's like they were they were in denial about having an NBA team or something. Yeah, and I would I would want to say that that was maybe partially due to the shameful way the season played played out. <laughs> uh, but th- that can't be because the. Lakers had a phenomenally embarrassing season, and they're still they're mer- <laughs> they're yeah. still hawking that merchandise. They're, oh, always, very always. I mean, the other thing is that was confusing is that Portland. I think the Trailblazers are the only professional sports team. In I, I I feel like that's the case. Yes. Yeah. So why was I seeing more college football stuff than I was for their one professional sports team they have in the? not just portland but oregon right the entire state yeah the the only yeah the only uh that's really weird especially since like if we if we were to dial our patented rump time machine back to 2015 
uh, there I was mm-hmm. in Medford, Oregon. Uh, mm-hmm. I uh, just uh, dropped off, had my my non-functioning car towed to the local dealership to be fixed, and uh, part you know this was at the the start of my weekend. Uh, this was back when I was working for Bureau of Land Management in Southern Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. I realize this is all the the thrilling like personal background stuff that uh, some 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 commenters on on iTunes really love to hear. Anyway, uh, I was I had booked a bus ticket, uh, you know that good old Greyhound bus ticket to to take me all the way down to Reno. Um, and I just, it was sort of a matter of just waiting around for, you know, 8 PM or whatever to roll around. Uh, so, you know, I had some, uh, uh, I had some time to, to, to sort of explore the, you know, Medford, Oregon a little bit. Um, I didn't, I didn't come across any, (laughs) any investment businesses promising a 25% return on my money. No Medford hustle for you. No Medford hustle for me. Fortunately at the time I didn't really have any money. Uh, uh, Just enough to set aside to do the fixing on the the Jetta I was driving at the time. Um, But uh, I did stop at uh, Waligi's famous sandwiches and upon the advice I had received, I ordered the world-famous garbage grinder, which immediately, mm-hmm. as soon as I said that, immediately provoked a wave of uh, rowdy cheering from all customers who were present. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, please remind the uh, audience what's in a garbage grinder. Um you know, a lot of sandwich stuff, particularly meat, a lot of meat. I vaguely recall this, the, the, the gar- like just my, <laughs> admittedly it's been time has passed. So my memories, I'm sure yeah. distorting. This is some real, like, uh, first 20 episodes of reenacted callback yeah. stuff. We're getting into right, it. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure yeah. I've mentioned the, the, the world famous garbage grinder. It's like, you know, all, all 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 the meats you might expect in a sandwich. Your your ham, uh your bacon. Um I mean it was just I mean it was just so crammed full of meat. And and, and you know, the other sandwichy stuff. Like that the point that my exaggerated memory is like picturing two pieces of bread each uh obscured from sight because the, they have like such huge pieces of ham uh, uh, mm-hmm. over them. But what I may not have mentioned in any previous discussion of Medford is after eating the garbage grinder, I kind of wandered around, I think the Medford mall. Then I think I stop at to eat at a, some sort of restaurant themed to Eastern Asia. Um, well, that may have been the last thing I did, but, uh, during the process of uh, sort of journeying around Medford on foot, I came across a traveling promotional tour for the Portland Trailblazers. Um, what? Yeah. 
just completely unexpected. Like, you know, I was about, I was about three blocks from where the, the little Greyhound, I, I hesitate to call, call it a station, uh, building where the Greyhound bus, uh, would stop. And I heard, I heard a, a rhythmic sound, uh, as, it, uh, as it turns out, it was music, uh, pulsating through the ground. I was like, oh, there's something going on. And so I, I, I walk, I sort of walk down one block and I see a lot, a, a sort of little square full of people, full of people, you know, like, and, you know, lots of basketballs being thrown around. And I'm like, oh, and I sort of walk over there and it's like this, the, 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 the Portland Trailblazers um, front office has, uh, all these little activities and stuff going on and music playing and people, people are shooting the ball. And I think there's some, uh, guy who, you know, does like announcing or whatever for the Blazers and used to be a former player, uh, for in the NBA. And he, he did a little three point shootout with someone and, uh, you you could you could see the trophy, the championship trophy, the T one back in nineteen seventy seven, and uh, you and you got to like they had a little you know one little booth with like a wheel, and I, I don't know if you hit a button and the wheel spin or you just or, or they someone just manually spinned it for you, and. Wherever it landed, that was the gift you're gonna get, and that's how I have I have a T-shirt about this co- commemorating this uh, this Portland Trailblazers promotional publicity tour. It it you know it has Rip City written on the front, and on the back it has mm-hmm. a list of the stops they made, including Salem, Eugene, uh, Medford. I think they may have also been going down the Klamath Falls. So, wow. Yeah. Robbie, I know this is not about the Trailblazers. Oh. But I did pull up the Luigi's uh, Italian sandwich menu. Okay. And uh, here's what I found is in the garbage grinder. Oh, good. Uh, the signature garbage grinder includes ham, salami, yeah. pepperoni, a cheese blend, likely cheddar and jack cheese, pickles, Peppers, tomatoes, olive oil, the secret sauce, uh-huh. easy salt, easy salt is in quotes, and two handfuls of warmed onions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Does that uh, track with the memory of a sandwich you had eight years ago? That sounds like, that sounds spot on, yes. How could I have neglected to mention the onions? It sounds like a very oniony sandwich. Sounds unpleasant. Uh, <laughs> Robbie. Yes. Listen here, we uh, are on season six, episode four. That is correct as well. Oh boy, do you want to talk about it? I sure do. I believe they call this an unexplained death segment. I believe so. Though the death seems pretty explained. <laughs> they, they do a pretty pretty good right, job laying it all out right there the for you. <laughs> so here's the deal. Um, TW, trigger warning, anyone who doesn't want to talk about suicide, maybe skip the next 15 minutes of this, uh, podcast. Um, but if you are like Ted Lossoff's mother, Zell, 
this in fact is not a segment about suicide, but of a nefarious plot to murder Ted, her beloved son. So Ted Lossif, um, he, uh, he lives in, he lived in LA. Um, interestingly, the wiki and the show both mentioned that he lived in Hancock park near Los Angeles, California. And, uh, Unless I'm mistaken, Hancock Park is very much in the center of Los Angeles, California, so I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. But, um, you know, if someone correct me on that, uh, or don't, I don't care. Okay, so he, um, as his sweet mother Zell lets us know uh, that Ted, despite all of the evidence presented in front of us, uh, was, you know, very... Happy-go-lucky guy. He was not one to um, kill kill himself. And immediately, my reaction when we because st- we've had quite a few of these uh, segments now, where it it is mostly clear to me that someone has died by suicide. And then you know, grieving family members refuse to believe that's true and kind of piece together their own version of events. I think we had one of these like two episodes ago. Do you remember? I can't remember the details, but I do feel like I, re- I recall a dissonance between <laughs> what what clearly mm-hmm. happened and what a relative was thinking was that happened. Yes. Um, am, um, am I to understand that mm-hmm. that's what you're suggesting with this segment? I that is what I am suggesting because even after all this that and the other thing <laughs> that gets laid out in front of us it still doesn't add up to murder and um, although there is some very compelling um, details given by a housekeeper yeah. of the loss of so so Zell's uh, she's a sweet old woman she's letting us know that um, there's uh, there's trouble in paradise between Ted and his wife Wilda and just, uh, do we think Zell is short for Zelda? Um, <clears throat> admittedly, I don't know enough names that start with the letters <laughs> Z, E, and L to come up with an alternative. I don't either. <laughs> so I just think that's interesting that maybe Ted's mom was named Zelda and then he married a woman named Wilda. <laughs> that's just kind of weird. Yeah. Right? Um, so when uh, so this this the other thing that's kind of frustrating about this is this segment aired on an episode in 1993, but Ted's death occurred in 1974. Mm. So al- already, like I'm like, what are we gonna get out of this, guys? This was almost 20 years ago. Yeah. What new evidence is gonna come to light in airing this this case? The police mm-hmm. had found Ted uh, and his he was had passed away in his garage with a hose pumping exhaust into uh, his car, I guess. Yeah. Um, and the authorities didn't do an autopsy or an intensive investigation because it looked pr- pretty clear what had happened. Okay. Um, but the the thing the thing was is that Wilda had at 8 p.m. on the evening of February 23rd, 1974. So this is like uh this is like a little while before police find Ted dead in the garage is that Wilda had called the police saying that Ted was inside the house with a gun and um there was a suicide note written on 
it was left in an upstairs bedroom and it was written on a shirt cardboard. Uh, if anyone has ever bought a men's shirt very often, they're like full, like a collar, you know, like a nice dress yes. shirt. Very often they're sold with like a, like to maintain the shape of the shirt. They're, they're uh, wrapped around a shirt cardboard. And I, I'm sorry, millennials, Gen Z, if you don't know what that is, you got to look it up. They show it in the segment. It's just like a piece of cardboard with a little like collar on it. And th- this was like a supposed suicide note uh, that, that Ted had written. And granted the, the, note was brief and kind of weird but i also don't think out of step with what somebody might be compelled to write before killing themselves yeah, well yeah I, well, um, well i mean the contents of the letter were not you know suspicious of me i mean yes they're a little short and cryptic uh i i i, I did just i did find it weird that he wrote it on the on that cardboard thing because i feel like if you know if you're living your last last message you'd at least like want to put it on some paper and i i don't know if he had any lined paper available but surely his orthopedic surgeon business or whatever must have had some stationery or something right though i mean i, I guess maybe that would be yeah <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't most people just have like a notepad by the phone. Or a notepad by the phone, yeah. The was, was their house so bereft of paper that you know he's trying to leave his last message and he actually you know and he actually spent maybe hours wandering through his house trying to find something to write it on until he finally out of desperation know. pulls off one of his suits out of the closet and takes out the cardboard thing. You know, <laughs> <laughs> who can say i don't know it's weird that there wasn't any paper in this house that ted could have written this or some nice stationery or whatever and uh you know i like to think if i was gonna you know take myself out i would <laughs> leave a little bit uh, yeah just of a nicer note it just feels for my loved ones to remember me by <laughs> right but... it just feels kind of intuitive that you'd like you'd you'd write it on a piece of paper and you know like I mean, if he's going to write it on the cardboard thing, why not just write it on the surface of the table itself or or on a, a <laughs> yeah. or on a plate or yeah. <laughs> it's just it's going to it's going to look weird no matter what you do. Well, a bunch of other things start to look weird to Zell and uh she had uh had learned at some point that Ted's marriage was not, not a happy one yeah. with his wife, Wilda of two years. And, um, Zell real, you know, Zell puts it all together. Robbie, do you remember how Zell comes to the conclusions that she comes to about what had really happened to her son and how she's able to see it so clearly? Well, she, uh, we are fortunately treated to some dream vision um, uh-huh. and what was interesting about this was it, it wasn't so much that she was suggesting like psychic, you know, power sort of stuff, no. just more that she had a dream that sort of distinctly laid out what I would assume were things that were nagging her already. And, uh, mm-hmm. to the point where I, 
I have to admit, I did kind of wonder, like, did she just make this dream up? Like, this was all stuff that, you know, the stuff about, like, how the, the garage was full of Ted's stuff, so he'd have to empty mm-hmm. it out to move, put the car in, and how the gate really didn't work that well for their, you know, uh, so he often just parked the car outside of the gate. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like, I feel like she had all these sort of nagging, you know, things in her mind, but maybe she was just like, Oh no, if I start saying stuff like that, I'll sound crazy. I better, I better say something like I had a dream (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. and you know, it, it, it reminded me of some things that, that now, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. One of the things that Zell mentions is that she remembered because of this dream also weird that Ted had had a bad back and had surgery right before he died. So he wouldn't have been able to do like all the heavy lifting to pull all the stuff out of the garage. Right. Now I have a question because we get the dream vision, you know, first person perspective from her. And at first when I was trying to, cause there's a little effect that go, going on with it. At first I was thinking it was uh, 3d, but that's not quite right. It's that, I don't know what kind of thing they do where you know, it it adds a um, sort of a gray uh, blur to stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen it depicted in television before, particularly if we were around during the 1990s. It was like, oh, we'll add the sort of filter on, and now now the, now it looks like a dream. Yeah, it was kind of yeah. I got used a lot in the X Files too. Oh yeah, yeah. It just gives everything a haziness. I don't know. It might just be called haze filter or something like yeah. that. So Zell decides to talk to Ted and Wilda's former housekeeper, Mary, who also thought that Ted's death was suspicious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get we get a detailed story and reenactment from Mary, the housekeeper. Yeah. And one day she shows up to work and... Uh, Ted takes her aside and says to Mary, oh, you know, Mary, I'm, uh, you know, Mrs. Uh, Lossif, uh, Wilda won't, won't be around anymore. Um, we're getting a divorce. And uh, Mary's, you know, says, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that. And then very shortly after that, uh, Wilda arrives at the home and goes straight upstairs. And Mary overhears some, like, screaming and arguing. And... Wilda comes, you know, Ted's got uh, Wilda, like, by her arm, comes down the stairs. Mary sees the whole thing. Um, It's, I wouldn't say violent, how it's depicted, but aggressive. Like, he's, like, Ted's trying to throw Wilda out of the house or something. And then Wilda's yelling about how, like, Ted has a gun, uh, which is consistent with the phone call that gets made later on Mm -hmm. to the police. Um, And, uh... You know, Wilda gets tossed out of the house, and then Mary's like, "You know what? <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stick around if you crackers are gonna keep acting this crazy." I'm <laughs> so you can call me when you calm down. Is basically what Mary says, and I respect it. And so Mary gets in her car, and then, uh, like as she's leaving the house, Wilda basically jumps in front of her car and says, "Hey, Mary, can you give me a ride?" Um, and then Mary takes. Wilda presumably back to Mary's home at which point Wilda's very like conspicuously lighting taking long 
glances at the floor and lighting a cigarette and, you know, wanting Mary to call the police on her behalf because Ted had had a gun. And the police say, you know, well, can you put can you put Wilda on the phone since she's the one that saw the gun and then she didn't want to get on the phone for some reason with the police. So Mary's like, well, the police don't want to. I didn't see a gun. And I don't know what you're talking about. So, you know, so basically Mary's whole story is to throw, throw, uh, suspicions on Wilda, um, because there clearly wasn't a gun. No gun was found in the house. I don't think, um, not that the police did a super thorough investigation. It was pretty open and shut for them when they found Ted's body. Um, and so then from all of this, Zell concocts this theory, uh, that someone had broken into the house or something. Okay. Yeah. Is that <laughs> right? Right. Um, um the, the, they were basically the hired muscle. There was like two of them. They just, we, right. it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, I suppose it's not a fun little reenactment, but it's a very engaging one where they, these two guys just burst in. And poor, poor Ted is just overwhelmed immediately from the start. They like just grab him and they're carrying both of them carrying one end of him and into the bedroom Mm -hmm. and doing all the stuff that they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and all, all of this, this, uh, Wilda theory is based on the fact that she had signed a prenup and that if she had gotten divorced, um, she would not have been, she wouldn't have gotten any money and you know ted was a cardiologist or something i don't know but they lived in hancock park clearly they had some money right <laughs> so wilda i guess hired these guys to kill ted and then made it seem like none of the timing of any of this makes any sense though because what what the timing that does make sense to me is that wilda and ted got in an argument yeah. wilda left with mary and then sometime after that uh ted committed suicide after that argument and the reason that the cops were alerted to this was because mary made the phone call saying you know he may have a gun and i guess the cops decided to do something about it even though mary did not see the gun firsthand i'm not really sure how the cops end up back at ted's house Um, i guess (laughs) they thought they might check it out i don't know um in 1978, an autopsy was finally performed on Ted. Uh, the pathologist stated that there would have been vomit. Uh, that he like right before Ted died, he would have had been vomiting, but no vomit was found on Ted's clothes along with his car. Um, so the path, this one pathologist, you know, determines that this was uh, going to be a homicide, not a suicide. Um, and so, yeah, of course, you know, there's the thing about the the phone call and Zell's calling the phone and. The, this that and the other thing and boy did we spend 22 whole minutes of our lives on this segment which is clearly not going to have any kind of update because none of the time timeliness of this makes any sense with ted having been attacked or roughed up there's no I, there's no evidence that ted was uh uh physically assaulted even the path, the path that doesn't become clear in the autopsy. 
Um, the vomiting spell. Well, guess what happens when you give yourself, what is it, carbon dioxide poisoning by inhaling the exhaust from your car directly into your cabin of your car is you're going to throw up. That's exactly what happens. I don't know why the cops didn't find any vomit, but, um, you know, you know, maybe Mary also noticed that when Ted was found, uh, he was wearing a different set of clothes than he had been when she saw him earlier in the day. You know, maybe he uh, he did one attempt, got sick, chickened out, changed his clothes after vomiting on himself and then successfully or unsuccessfully finished the job later in the uh, garage. That, I don't see any, anything here. That sounds plausible because you know? I kind of feel like, um, let me emphasize, I would never commit suicide, but I kind of feel like if I ever tried to do it. I would, I, there would be a lot of like chicken out and <laughs> mm-hmm. just, you know, I walk into the, get into the car, then get out of, find an excuse to get out of the car. Like, Oh, you know, I, mm-hmm. I just realized I left the laundry in the dryer. I better go get it out there and fold yeah. it up and just, you know, peel off pacing around in, in the house and not actually following through. So uh yeah yeah i i i i buy that yeah i mean i i'm really annoyed by this segment because a it goes on for such a long time and it goes in such excruciating detail which is basically just stuff that a grieving mother made up yeah. based on a dream she had this is not anything there's no there's no cop jumping in saying oh yeah this stuff didn't add up about you know, there's no private investigator. There's nothing. It's just a grieving mother. And like for Unsolved Mysteries, first of all, to give this so much airtime and a sense of false hope to this woman that this is ever going to be resolved in a way that's going to satisfy her, I thought was actually kind of cruel. Because guess what? There's no update because it because it is it is exactly what it presents itself to be is this man was very unhappy, regardless of whatever he told his mother. I mean, if anyone has been close to someone who has, uh, you know... Yeah. Um, killed themselves. Most of those people were shocked and dismayed. Oh, they were the funniest guy at the party. Oh, never saw it coming. Never knew anything was wrong. I mean, that's that's why suicide is just so fucking awful because you don't see it coming and you're never going to get a satisfying answer as to why it occurred. Right. You're just not. And uh, you know, I really feel for this woman, but I th- I think Unsolved Mysteries didn't do her any favors by kind of dangling this carrot, saying maybe somebody uh, somebody out there was part of this she, hit. She spent the entire but, remainder of her life waiting by the phone for that update phone call to happen. Yeah, that is sad. I think, yeah, I think Unsolved Mysteries do- normally does like a like a pretty good public service <laughs> for most of the time, yeah. but this was not one of those times. Yeah. And the fact that this was half of the episode as it originally aired was kind of disturbing. I thought Any- anyway, I'm I'll get off my soapbox, but Robbie, what did you think about this segment? Well, it, it's funny when, when we were, when we're presented the scenario of the, the two assailant hype uh, muscle, as it were entering the house and, you know, doing away with Ted, I kept thinking, uh, this is going to sound horrible, but I actually got a lot of amusement thinking about like, okay, they've, they've now, you know, they've, 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 they've murdered him. Now, now they just have to set up the, the thing. So it looks like he's poisoning himself in the car, in the car. They go walk over to the garage and open it up. 
And what do you know, Wilda never told them about Ted's boating equipment and all the cartons of boxes. So they like open it up and just like I have mm-hmm. this mental image of them just sort of deflating because now they, they're going to have to spend an hour moving all this shit around so they can pull his car up. And who knows, maybe they had difficulty uh, getting the getting the gate to, to open. It's it's starting to like eventually it's it started you know in my mind it started to go into almost Fargo esque territory, right? Just a a comedy a of errors. Basically. Comedy of errors. Um, yeah, I mean this this segment. It's I guess guess I don't have as as good an understanding of human emotions as you did as you do because I kind of like watching the segment I I thought like oh okay you know when we uh, when we start doing a pod about this segment Chris was going to be like this is a travesty of justice I mean clearly the police didn't follow through on investigating this. I, I like, like I was so, I was so ready for, for you to be like poking holes in all the shoddy investigation work. And then, you know, then you just sort of lay out here like, Oh yeah, I guess, I guess if you're profoundly unhappy, like Ted was, you might. <laughs> yeah. And, and did he not just have back surgery? He was probably, I mean, listen, as someone who's had, awful back pain and been through surgery. If that surgery had not been successful, I would, I would have maybe been can, can maybe have been considering the same outcomes as Ted. Yeah. Just cause at that pers- point, like he's Ted was in pain emotionally. He had a, a terrible marriage, you know, maybe it was terrible because he was in so much pain. Um, you know, he was hurting. And so I think it's pretty clear a to B on this one <laughs> not really sure why the producers picked it up if there had been actual like compelling physical evidence like but you know beyond what zelda assumed in a dream <laughs> about what was going on in the garage situation i don't know he ted could have had somebody come and clear that out like weeks before yeah um you know, it didn't take him to do it, and you can hire people to do that. I, I don't I don't really know what the basis of even airing this was. It was truly bizarre. Yes, um, I want to draw draw the audience's attention that if we go to the very early on in this segment, there's sort of a little uh, reenactment of a little party at I guess Ted's office or something. And mm. uh, they depict the t- the moment he meets uh, Wilda. Very early on in that party, all I'm going to say is, if you just if you watch the segment, and you only you know there's only a few seconds where you're going to be able to see it, but just just keep an eye out for Ted's shoes. That's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, well, I wish you would say more about Ted's shoes. Oh, okay. Well, uh, was he? I mean, was was it one of these things where it was supposed to be the early seventies, but he was wearing Air Jordans or something? Oh, it's not. Uh, no, it's it's not a continuity error. Uh, it's mm. more just that they are perhaps they're a little too. I mean, perhaps that's the is that they're appropriate. That's the. I mean, 
when you're when you're when you see his shoes, uh, they are they are as wide as my eyes. Um, at least mm-hmm. as, my as my eyes are when I when I'm not coming off three consecutive double shifts. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, they just they they really stood out and popped for me. So that's that's all I I'm I'm gonna. Well, thank thank you for um, wrapping this up on a positive <laughs> note of bright and shiny footwear. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey Robbie speaking of other things that are bright and shiny do you want to talk about gold <gasps> let's talk about gold I Robbie I want so much gold I want th- everything to be gold plated I want to dive around in gold coins like Scrooge McDuck I just want to be surrounded by gold and I and I honestly believe that is the natural uh, human inclination. Oh, you think you think it's not just because we've um, in our society we 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 made gold uh, uh, to be designated it to be this valuable. I understand correctly, you're saying that it's sufficiently shiny enough that that alone mm-hmm. automatically like marked yes. it for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. It has inherent. It has inherent and absolute value, and I think we should move to the gold standard. Well, I mean, everything has some sort of value. Like, what if our society was revolved around zinc as much as gold? Uh, uh-huh. I mean... Well, I mean, is zinc shiny? Um, I mean, whenever... I, I don't think it is. I think it's pretty mad. It's not shiny. Uh, you, you know, I'm. There you go. You're like you're bringing up all this periodic table stuff. <laughs> and, um, and I'm out of my depth, so I'll concede the point. But yes, gold. We, okay. People, people want it, want it so much that they'll travel into a desert looking for it. Yeah, they've very often done that historically. You know. Uh, this nest <laughs> sorry i just had a stroke in the middle of my sentence connor maybe you don't edit that out let's keep it real for the people yeah. stays in okay so <laughs> you know what's uh, what you know what is actually in the desert much much more valuable than gold uh in fact is water yeah and uh, I'm going to let you take it away with this with this segment. But one of the things, it's a treasure segment. And it takes place in the Superstition Mountains of Nevada. And um, one of the things that really struck me about the opening of the segment is, is the different ways that Robert Stack uh, suggests that the desert is a lifeless hellhole. Why would anyone ever go there? Oh my God, it's so terrible. He, he, like we get these really beautiful aerial shots of the desert and I, which I think are kind of self-explanatory. It's, it can be very lovely and peaceful and a nice place to visit or even live, I yeah, guess. I, and, um... uh, they must've been using stock footage of Arizona or New Mexico or something. Cause I don't recognize the four rock formations yeah. they got showing. They, they, yeah. they, it's listen, if, you know all, and you know all of the rock formations in Nevada. You do. Oh boy! You're like an expert. Uh, uh, 
Your your mouth's writing out checks that my knowledge isn't going to be able to cash. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I agree. It looked, uh, it looked to be very, you know, very much Arizona and, uh, maybe Southern Nevada. Definitely wasn't Northern Nevada. It's definitely Nevada. not Northern Nevada. Um, yeah. But, but, but yeah. it is lovely to look, look at, which is, is mm-hmm. why it's so, uh, such a contrast. Cause like Robert Stack's talking about it. Like he's like, he's one of the off world characters from Dune. He's like, yeah, he's like these poor creatures scratch out an existence on mere drops of water and they've evolved to live in this awful environment and (laughs) rain falls so infrequently that they must, you know, and he's just really going on about it. Yes, (laughs) yes. As if he doesn't live in L.A., which is pretty (laughs) effing close to a desert anyway. What is he even talking about? Okay. Um. Well, <laughs> but moving on, we got to talk about gold and we got to talk about water. Water, yeah, that's 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 the stuff that's truly precious. And yeesh, yeah, uh, considering the considering some of the drought situations that are going on in Nevada and I assume our our neighboring states. Uh, yeah, definitely having a problemo over here in California. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, we're basically drinking our own pee. <laughs> At this point, so in California. so we've gone from Dune to now Waterworld uh, for our references. Yes. Very uh-huh. nice. We're recovering the entire spectrum yeah. of plan- planetary water coverage. Um, yes, it, I mean it's funny because like this the segment, ta- you know, yeah, really sort of hammers home just how how valuable uh, a massive water find would be in Nevada. And this is like mm-hmm. thirty year, roughly thirty years before today. Where holy crap! If this, if what we're about to discuss were true, it would, yeah. it would change everything. But mm-hmm. let's not get ahead of ourselves. After I think we've, <laughs> I think we've been vamping this segment for ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, now. we've really been pumping it up <laughs> without actually talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, after Stack's sort of dire narration about the ne- Nevada desert, we get a little period piece reenactment of a prospector named Earl Dorr, and he's driving a old timey looking car. Uh, I am I am not a very manly man, so I'm not really into cars too much. So I don't know if this is a model J. Or whatever, but uh, he, he uh-huh. yeah, he's he's out there on a, a a car that looks like it has bicycle wheels, and he is he is cruising through the desert, yeah. um, deep deep in the desert. Uh, there was apparently some Indian legend told of a secret cavern that led to a underground river, and that there were you know gold nuggets everywhere. So Earl, uh, they say that Earl was just crazy enough to believe that. And we get this little reenactment of him and a, I believe the show re- officially referred to him as a sidekick. That's always fun. Um, descending through into a ca- cavern, and they come across what is described as a gigantic river that, um, mm-hmm. uh, like, they spent days travel like traveling the, along the uh, the side of it, and you know, 
the in the water and they they gave some geology talk about how over the years it would like that the gold would become exposed like they, they they went up to the water and it's just like oh wow you know they're, they're, they're like there's just gold just just like just gold ready for you know just to be picked up and mm-hmm. carried out it's it's a prospector's dream uh and so you know earl naturally he's like i just as i would be he was like wow i want to make sure i have this thing entirely to myself <laughs> uh so i guess his insecure he had an insecurity because he didn't actually own the land that he found this thing on um and I guess he was hesitant to mention it to the actual owner. So we apparently he dynamited the entrance to it, hoping that he could instead find another way off the property to get into the river. Uh, we mm-hmm. get, so we get, we get treated to a neat little desert explosion. I don't know if Unsolved Mysteries mm-hmm. hired a pyrotechnics person to do this for them or if they just had been keeping their eye out for like an explosion that was going to happen in the desert and we're simply there to film it. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's a decent, decent explosion. Uh, unfortunately for Earl, much like me, whenever I uh, am, have the attitude of like, Oh, well I can always come back and find whatever uh, he never could quite relocate the. No, yeah. he couldn't. And from no. there, we immediately transitioned to a space shuttle launch. Uh, I have to admit that ca- <laughs> jarring. Yeah, that but... caught me a little off guard. I w- was not expecting yeah. it, but it becomes a little more clear when they 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 show the. You know, they, they were taking space pictures from space of the planet Earth. And, you know, from these sufficiently trained people can kind of, like, perceive on a, you know, an image of, of, of the planet, ancient and dried out river channels and so forth. And this is where we get introduced to Wally, wasn't it? A guy who worked for NASA who, based off these pictures, came to the conclusion that there was some giant petroleum uh, uh, deposit that would that he would might be able to find, and he brought with him some sort mm-hmm. of uh, what was it a radiation testing thing? Because uh, as we learned mm-hmm. uh, through a neat little graphic in this episode, the planet just naturally radiates out radiation uh, all the time, and mm-hmm. apparently petroleum blocks radiation. Sure. Yeah. So I guess if uh, in the event of nuclear fallout, if I don't immediately have those iodine tablets nearby, I could at least cover mm-hmm. myself with oil to... Yeah. Yeah. Um, that wouldn't ignite or anything. Well, so, I mean, obviously, if well, if I'm close enough that the nuclear blast is going to set the oil on fire, I'm probably being incinerated anyway i this is more for like a fallout type situation where mm, i'm miles okay. away from the blast center and it's just radiation you know i just just need to cover myself mm. with that oil and that that's that'll be my existence 
Just walking around covered in oil. Mm, you'll just be just to be being a big oily robber. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Sliding around, dripping all over the place. On the plus side, also, uh, that might actually be a sufficiently unnerving sight that any other survivors I come across might might just leave me alone because they're like mm, that guy's mm-hmm. kind of weird. We better not risk it that he's yeah. like a full-on psychopath because look at him he's covered in oil uh yeah i'm wondering though could you just use petroleum jelly then oh petroleum jelly is uh, i i is is in fact derived from petroleum then so yeah sure is you can just you know cover yourself and be weird and shiny And not radioactive. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is people will be so distracted by other issues going on by that point. They're not going to they're not going to comment anything on it. Just like, I mean, that guy's shiny and covered in petroleum jelly. And I I got other things to worry about. That guy is as slippery as a dolphin over there. Do not mess with him. Well. Uh, th- this is all very important stuff, and I'm glad we've discussed it because uh, we I, I, I might need to make uh, use of all this. But for the more practical uh, reasons involved with the segment, I guess Huawei went out with uh, some sort of radiation detecting device, right? And he mm-hmm. uh, he he was driving around on a truck to uh, like I guess the the idea was that the it would not be detecting as much radiation when he when he was over over the the giant oil uh deposit that he was convinced was out there uh and so you know he's he didn't find a pocket of oil which he describes as very disappointing mm-hmm. but he was also but he was excited because uh what they what they may have uh, come across there was, uh, as as he described it, a virtually inexhaustible supply of water. He said something like 17 billion gallons passing through this river every day. Yeah. I. Yeah, I don't know a lot about rivers, but that seems high. That's like. Said a lot. <laughs> For a river? Yeah. Seems like I mean, it. yeah, I, I as well, I'm not an expert on river and rivers and would not, would not know, you know, necessarily, you know, you know, whether, how much would pass through on just a normal sized river, but he does give us some, some, uh, some other, uh, some, some stuff that we can kind of infer just how how massive this is he said that this would be enough water to supply 170 gallons of water a day which i assume is actually just basically what a normal person consumes uh uh even if that seems like a lot uh 170 gallons of water a day for what did he say 100 million people wow now bear in mind nevada's population is like three million or something at this point, give or take. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's clearly a lot. I mean, all yeah. all our water problems would be solved as well as that of all of our other Western neighbors. And yeah, this uh, 
like basically you just have to look at a map of Nevada and just picture that like it's all it there's just a giant underground river under the entire state. Uh, now here's where we run into sort of the, uh, what I'm sure was the exasperating thing for all parties involved. Because uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, I mean, in order to drill for the water, uh, you have to get some sort of permit. Wally was convinced that as soon as he applied for this permit, the people with the Nevada Water Management Authority or whatever their official yeah. name <laughs> were, were. Sounds yeah, good. The, the Nevada Water Management Authority uh, would just mm. immediately like what they would be like, well, well we're going to deny your permit. Meanwhile, we're going to go out there and drill ourselves so that we get the, the water. Yeah. So, well, here's here's the thing, though. So Wally was trying to get a finder's fee or yeah, something. Yeah, that that's his thing. Like, and he, the state, he he, he yeah. wanted the guarantee of his finder's fee before he he gave the location. And the state of Nevada was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> we can't promise you anything because we don't know if anything's there, and if you're not going to tell us where something is, so we can actually go drill for it. Or even issue you a permit so you can go drill for it. There's no deal, man. Like, yeah, yeah. What the fuck was this guy doing? <laughs> it seems pretty reasonable position from the state of Nevada. Uh, they they interview one person with the Nevada Water Management uh, uh, Agency uh, who has probably one of the more impressive mustaches I've se- seen in this. Um, in this, uh, so far in this rewatch of Unsolved Mysteries we're doing, or I, I don't know necessarily impressive, but just a very distinct mustache. Uh, mm-hmm. funny, funny enough, I've actually looked this, <laughs> I've looked up all these Nevada water management, uh, people up. To see, uh, Oh, of course yeah. you have. <laughs> and this guy has a LinkedIn. He no longer has that mustache, but, he does look, but I mean, it was unmistakably him. Same sort of facial structure and haircut. But, uh, you know, like he, he gave, you know, I mean, him and, you know, the other water management people they talked with, they're basically like, look, Wally, just apply for the permit, okay? Just apply for mm-hmm. the permit. And, you know, if you, stumble upon this this gigantic thing of water which would revolutionize the state of nevada beyond mm-hmm. all all our all conception you're we'll yeah. pay you uh, your your fee uh, yeah. yeah and i you know and you know, <laughs> you know what just occurred to what? me is like the the Nevada desert is full of guys like Wally. Yeah. It's just where people who are like simultaneously employed by the government but don't trust the government. <laughs> right. That's And maybe it's because they're employed by the government, to be fair, but they go and they just find their little niche in the desert. And uh, you know, back in the nineties they would have done shit like this, you know, be like, Can't trust the man with your 
water locations. You can't be filing, per- you know, the real um, Dale Gribbles of the world. Right. Yeah. No, uh, you know, no, if Wally was alive today, uh, he'd pro- if he is alive today, I'm certain he has his own YouTube channel. Well, I'm, I'm sure, I, I believe at the very end of the segment, they mentioned that there was a brief little text update that he had passed away. But that his wife had wow. like seventeen, I don't know, whatever things pending because she, she, uh-huh. she was carrying on the tradition of wanting, wanting, trying, trying to. What? What did they think they were gonna achieve? Yeah, I mean that. Here. That's the thing. Like, I mean, after a few decades of, um, of, of you know the state of Nevada not budging on this. I mean, if you're Wally, I mean, here's the thing. The state is immortal, right? Like, yeah, humans are not. And if you're Wally, you got to reach a point where eventually you're like, well, I might as well just roll the dice, apply for the permit. And, you know, if if they screw me over, I my life is literally no different than it has been for the past couple of decades of not having applied for the permit. But if uh, if they mm-hmm. don't, I I can live the remainder of my days in obscene wealth. But I think this is you you're actually pretty spot on when you mention the there is a particular t- uh, type in Nevada the the person who is employed yes. by the government but is extremely suspicious. <laughs> That's. Uh, I mean that's that's a perfect uh, that is such a Nevadan thing just just you know our our weird you know uh, even beyond just hypocrisy it's 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 more just you know our our just internal contradiction as uh, contradictions <laughs> as human beings laid out there mm-hmm. so well if I know anything about Nevada is there's a place for every weirdo out in that desert. So if you feel like you don't belong in society, there's a plot of land out in Nevada with your name on it. I am a living testament to that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Then that takes us now to the aftermath of World War II. Uh, this, This is a lost love segment, but lost love segment that doesn't doesn't suck <laughs> well it's i thought it was pretty funny the conclusion of this little s- segment about why these why why it becomes a lost love segment. <laughs> yeah but yeah it's pretty ridiculous anyway uh, so i mean it starts out with a little reenactment of people saying goodbye to their kids on the dock um and Char- you know we learned about little charles who's going to be separated from the rest of the family um this is uh, we get we, we we get stacked doing a little period piece about our our parents the mother and the father what was it Helena uh, they they meet uh, in this post war thing Helena's carrying two heavy looking suitcases down a dirt road um, as unfortunately uh, displaced people uh, are often uh, having to do and she. Uh, this ambulance, like military ambulance, passes passes by her by on the road and then comes to a stop. And this, um, uh, you know, 
Uh, I'm not sure necessarily if he was handsome, but a friendly, friendly guy was like, hey, would you like a ride to town? And uh, I can't recall how much time they said elapsed until they got married, but it didn't seem very long. <laughs> um, I mean, that's that's how people did it back then. They just found their wife on the side of the road. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's how people f found their kids. Or rather, they hired out to, yeah. to corrupt orphanages who would literally scoop kids up along the side of the road. I guess, I guess, in those days, there was just a lot more, a lot more happened uh, along the side of the road when you know there's not as many people with cars and so forth. Anyway, so Helena and was it Apollinary? Was that his name? Apollinary. Apollinary. Apollinary? I don't uh, know. It's an interesting name. Yeah. Um, they, they end up living in this refugee camp. You know, there's thousands of war survivors. I think this the camp itself is in England, right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. It's in England. So they went from they went from Austria um, and then uh, to England. Yeah. They, they have a son and then uh, a, a little infant daughter. And you know they're, they're they're living their little refugee life, like the Fujis. Like, oh, was that the last name you of know. the family? Yeah, the, the... no, they're the no, they're the Kirovskis. I'm saying like the Fujis, the rap group. They're having their little refugee life. Um, Remember the Fujis? I, I don't really follow music industry that closely. <laughs> The, the, this is a rap group you're saying i love when i love when things just die on the table <laughs> like this during the podcast. God, i'm sorry crystal uh <laughs> no it's i think that's why people listen to it you know they there's a lot of podcasts people can tune into by trained uh improv comedy professionals who will yes and each other until the cows come home but I, what i think makes <laughs> ours unique is when someone throws out a joke and just the other person just lets it die <laughs> just <laughs> yes yes and if if you like to continue to hear us humiliate ourselves uh please consider swinging over to our patreon uh, we have a. Wait, this isn't the end of the episode, <laughs> is it? Okay, okay. Uh, sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, the Kowalskis, those are the neighbors? Sure. All right. Uh, they get a little depiction of like the father of the family comes over and he's like, guess what? We're going to America! And, you know, yeah. uh, uh, Apollinary Apol Apol is like, oh, congratulations, my friend. And, like, they give this embrace that, for a moment, I was almost sure they were going to do the dance of joy. Mm -hmm. This does not actually happen. Um, but no. but they're still excited. Uh, Apollinary, you know, he's, he's like, let's do a toast. Uh, and the kids are like, when do we get to go to America, Papa? <laughs> and he's yeah. like, you must be patient. Um, and then uh, their neighbor is like, hey, I have an idea. Why doesn't Christopher come with me and my family? And he can be in America already. And the, you know, the family is like, you know, I guess they... 
just go along with that pretty quickly because there's not even a reenactment of a discussion about whether or not they should do it. It just immediately cuts to Christopher packing his luggage. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that I guess I guess maybe part of the the rationale was that way he'd be able to start the first grade in America. So so you know he mm, he yeah. you know he'd start out. You don't want your uh, your kid to learn English from having to watch. Uh... Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone movies. Because <laughs> yeah, they'll just pick up the wrong kinds of English. You know what right, I'm saying? Right, right. You know, it's like, oh, well, sure. Yeah. I'm, and I'm, surely, surely Arnold Schwarzenegger speaks, you know, the the appropriate English for America. If I, if I, if I yeah. replicate yeah. him, I'll fit in. That definitely did not happen to a Polish immigrant that I dated for the better part of a decade. <laughs> Oh, I yes, I. Oh, I see. Oh, oh, you're. Sp- oh, okay. I'm not just making things up. That's the thing that actually. Uh, yeah, I was a little um, slow on the uptake, but I'm reading what you're saying now. Oh my god. Oh no. Um. Oh no. It's okay. We can we can move past this. We can move past this because. So Christopher goes to the United States with this other family, yeah. and the uh, <laughs> Helena, Helena and Apollinary and Michelle, the younger sister, um, they start talking to some other people in this refugee camp in England. Yeah. And much like Facebook uh, destroys uh, the truth now, these neighbors start telling... Uh, Helena, all this crazy made-up stuff about the United States that isn't real. <laughs> Crystal, uh, you sound like you're really excited to to to, to discuss. I, what... you know what? Here's the thing. So at this point, um, the Kurovskis have visa applications pending yeah. at the consulate to the United States. Like they're getting in. They're yeah. getting in. They're going to go to the U.S. Christopher's just gone first. And um, so there's a reenactment of these these immigrants having this conversation with each other. And then and one person turns to who is supposed to be Helena in this instance and says, you know, in California, (laughs) if you put your baby, your baby's outside, there are monkeys that will steal your baby. And Helena and Apollinary sort of look look at each other across the table and they're like, "That's it!" And they they yank their visa applications. Like, right, the right. States. Yeah, it, it's it's shocking that they like. Oh my goodness! Um, and so then they try to get their kid Christopher back, but Christopher's all enrolled in school and he's doing well, and the family's like, "We're not going to send your kid back." Yeah, but also. Yeah. Imagine the entire history of your family (laughs) is based on the fact that your mother, (laughs) without further checking with the U.S. consulate or just asking around or maybe going to the library or speaking with anyone who maybe been to the United States, decided that you were not going to immigrate to the United States because monkeys in California might steal your baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Now, I'm sure there's more to this story than what Unsolved Mysteries chose to show here. And there are plenty of things to know about America. You know, it's not as a old 
Professor Vars would say, you know, the streets aren't lined with cheese. You know what I'm saying? Cheese. This so isn't. Who is- yeah, remember Fievel goes west. It's oh. about the immigrants because they come to America. The streets are lined with cheese because he's a mouse. Right. And actually, there's all these cats. I don't, you know, but instead of the cats, it's monkeys in California. And I really want to reiterate to anybody who maybe is not, has never visited North America and doesn't know this. There are no monkeys that live in North America. Uh, That's just not a thing. Now, if, listen, if the immigrant had turned to the mother and said, guess what? If you leave your baby outside, a mountain lion will eat your baby. That's legit. That's legit. You cannot be leaving your babies outside here in California. A mountain lion or a large owl will get your baby or probably a coyote. Yeah. I, but a, a monkey, there's no monkeys. You don't need right. to worry about monkeys. I, in fact, I wish we had monkeys because that would be entertaining. That would as well. be amazing. That would be amazing. I would love to have some monkeys. I would around. be. I would be. I mean, I. I might. That might very well be worth just moving to California on its own. Just. Right, if there was like a breed of small California monkeys, wouldn't wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah, they they do amusing things, and oh, yeah, yeah. Though you know, the funny thing is, okay, I mean, yeah, it, it would have been more plausible if this immigrant woman had told the mother, you know, told Helena, like, oh, you know, mountain lions. Uh, but mm-hmm. the thing is, is whether it's monkeys or mountain lions. I mean, you probably shouldn't just be leaving your kid out, your infant child out. (laughs) Uh, You know, anyway, you you may want to. Well, I mean, this was the old days. You just had to leave. Oh, that's true. I mean, that, I mean that, that's how all these kids are getting snatched up by Georgia Tan. A lot of these families are just like yeah. letting the kids roam around. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, the, the family won't send Christopher back. Um, but eventually, uh, after, I don't know, I guess letter writing or whatever and ta- talking with the consulate, uh, Christopher actually sends a letter to the family and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. he's like, Hey, you know, I, I, I remember you guys. Uh, my last name is kind of weird sound, you know, strange sounding now. I, uh, it's, it's Smith. Um, and, mm. and I, I kind of thought like the segment was going to take a very dark turn because when the daughter who is now like, you know, a teenage girl is like excitedly reading the letter off to the mom, she's like, Oh, okay. So it says his name's this and da, 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 and, and he's in the army and he's in Vietnam. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I was pre- I was prepared for a, like a whole layer of like POW stuffs gonna happen, but no. Instead, the postman just stops bringing uh, th- doesn't have any more letters from America from them, and I, I don't know exactly what's what's going on. But you know, the daughter they talking with her, and she's like, yeah, you know, uh, we we really you know we really want to to find. My my little brother, uh, my my mother's deceased. She, she passed passed away last April, but her dying wish was, I want my kids to find each other. And 
this they must have, but not at the time that this show was on the air, because we got a little text update that Helena's dying wish was fulfilled. Uh, Michelle, Michelle and Christopher were finally reunited. I don't even think they gave us... I mean, they, they did this update happens against some black and white pictures of the kids themselves, so I, 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 guess, I guess they... You know, they found each other, and Unsolved Mysteries maybe, I guess, wasn't involved. So, uh, Unsolved Mysteries probably didn't spring for the... <laughs> didn't spring for the reunion trip. <laughs> well, I mean, it's weird, because I'm looking at the wiki, and it's very clearly... There's some pictures of the brother and sisters hugging and then sitting next to each other. Oh. So, I think maybe they did. Oh. Because how else will we have these pictures? It's like clearly they're stills from Unsolved Mysteries. Then, then how come they didn't show it in the episode? I don't know. Well. Oh, because the case re-aired in 1996. So maybe when we get to 1996, <laughs> Unsolved Mysteries. We'll, we'll get. We'll get an update. All right. Well, long after we've forgotten about this segment ever Crystal, happening. So. There is no way I'm going to forget about this particular segment. No way whatsoever. <laughs> Let me tell you, when, 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 if we come across that update, like I'm going to jump on my chair, maybe make some, uh, mm -hmm. some primate sounds. <laughs> Are you going to steal a baby? You're making primates. Go out, you know, there'll, there'll be people with babies just laying around outside. Just scoop yeah. a couple of those up. Uh, maybe fight fight a mountain lion for one, and yeah. Well, if you if you conquer the mountain lion, you can claim the baby. That's California law. I I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie, if people want to get in touch with us, how should they do that? Uh, we have a Facebook group, Reenacted Fans Pot, Reenacted Podcast Fans. Uh, I don't know; those words are in some sort of order. Uh, Twitter. At reenacted pod, send us an email reenacted pod at gmail.com. Um, and then uh, go to Patreon. We got the five dollar tier. Uh, if you pay the five dollar tier, I actually have stuff packed uh, after packaged up and ready to send out. I just uh, I'm gonna swing by the post office tomorrow. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and then, um, we uh, we have a one dollar tier if you just want to you know pitch in but you 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 don't need it. It's like a hey thanks. Yeah. It's just like one dollar. It's like hey yeah. thanks. And uh, feel free to go over to iTunes or anywhere else where you can rate podcasts and please give us five stars. Or if you don't want to give us five stars, I'm sure there's a lot of other really fun things you could be doing. Um, yep. So. <laughs> Do you want to do the thing? Join me next week for another edition of Unsolved Mysteries.